Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Eagle now for the Rangers. Pressured by Zajac Marzell. Able to pull it out. Throws it over. Ryan Pollock steps in. He scores! Ryan Pollock. What a time for his first of the season. Islanders country. Hello. This is P.T. Isles, the Running with the Devils edition. Alongside Noel Fogelman, I'm Joe Bono. A reminder, you can listen to this show and all Lighthouse Hockey podcasts on iTunes. Please rate and review or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Tonight, we are joined by Islanders beat reporter for The Athletic and the host of the No Sleep Till Brooklyn podcast. That, of course, is Arthur Staple, and he joins us now. No Sleep Till Belmont, not Brooklyn. How are you doing, Art? I'm good, guys. How are you? So how was your chat with Michael Grabner earlier today? <laughs> Great. I've always enjoyed dealing with, uh, with Michael, uh, you know, his time with the Islanders was, uh, he came out with a bang back, uh, 10 years ago, which is amazing. I think it's 10 years ago now. And, um, it's too bad that he kind of missed their little, uh, their little Renaissance there. You know, he was hurt most of that 14, 15 year. And then he left uh, in a trade before 15, 16, but, uh, I think he's the only player in in NHL history with two 20 goal seasons for the Islanders and Rangers. So that's, uh, you know, the fact that he was able to kind of resurrect his career with the Rangers, I'm sure Islander fans weren't happy about it, but I still, like I said, on the podcast, there's it, the fact that he was able to resurrect his career with the Rangers for the Islanders fans hate, but they still loved grabs, even though he was succeeding for the Rangers just shows how much everybody really liked him when he was on the Island. And it's, it's pretty funny. Cause like when he got traded to, 
Toronto. There's still two players from that deal still playing in the league, of course, now with the Islanders. Uh, Christian Gibson is backing up in the in St. Louis now, right? And, um, and of course, Carter Verhage, which kills me every time I see him score a goal. <laughs> Unfortunately, he just got hurt because, you know, I followed him when I was covering Bridgeport. You know, a good guy. Just uh, They just gave up on him way too, way too uh, quickly. And for a backup AHL goalie who now I think is uh, playing in the Swedish league, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting trade tree for Grabner. But, uh, you know, I think it wasn't a great trade, but I think it was probably uh, the right time for him to move on just because the injury had kind of slowed him down a little bit. And that, you know, that was such so essential part of his game. But it was nice to see him resurrected and even have a couple of good years with Arizona. He had a really good playoff last year. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's ready to give it up yet. So maybe we'll see, uh, you know, what happens next season, you know. Could still be an Islander. Lou Lamarillo loves his guys, so you never know. <laughs> Not too many players can say they were traded in five for one deals either. So uh, yeah. that is definitely a, a feather in the in the cap. Um, Art, of course, the big news uh, this past week: the Islanders get their man in Kyle Palmieri, uh, tra- tra- uh, Travis Zajac, of course, in the deal as well. I went back to your article back in mid March when you wrote about the top, you know, twenty five trade targets. Um, for the for the Islanders and of course of course Palmieri was part of that collection really the second name you mentioned outside of Taylor Hall and what I'm curious about is you said Palmieri likely would not cost the first round pick now obviously the Islanders ended up trading that first round pick and a fourth for him and Zajac if it was just Palmieri do you think a second rounder would have done it I don't know if the Devils would have taken that but I think that's probably what the offer was. And and I think maybe there wasn't even an offer just for Palmieri. I, I imagine, you know, just hearing from some of the national guys and, and sort of seeing the way the timeline went, it really seemed like the clincher for this deal was Ajax agreeing to waive his no trade clause sometime on Wednesday. Um, and it would, maybe that made it clear that it was either both guys or neither. And the Islanders would have gone with Taylor Hall if it was just a one player coming in kind of situation. Um, which sort of leads me to believe that the, you know, the trade with, with Buffalo would have been similar to what the Bruins gave up for him. Uh, also not a first round pick. So if the devils were stuck on a first round pick, let's say, and Lou says, well, we need to have Travis Ajak in the deal or you don't have a deal. Then maybe that sort of explains the back and forth that he had with Buffalo and Jersey. Um, you know, I think there's probably some fans out there that if that were the case that, that they needed Travis Zajac, who may, you know, in a, in a perfect world, not even really be a guy who fits perfectly in the Islanders lineup right now. Um, if that was the thing that pushed over the top and, get, you know, just was the decision that Lou made to give up a first. I don't know if a lot of fans would be thrilled with that, but um, but I think you've seen to at least certainly on Sunday that uh, these are two guys that sort of fit what they do uh, a little bit better, maybe than Taylor Hall Hall probably would have been a guy that they would have gotten um, to fill a spot, but also look for a Zajac style player then in addition to help fill out a more depth forward spot. Um, but I think for the, for the cost uh, you get two guys that, that Lou knows very well that are Barry Trot style guys. Um, you know, I think in this, and especially in this kind of year where you're looking at a first round pick, that's probably in the 20 somewhere. Um, nobody's even really sure if there's more than a dozen really bona fide good first round picks because the amateur kids have played so little this year. Um, and then I think you just factor in the, the, the Lou Lamarillo factor, which is he's ready to give up a first round pick if he thinks his team can win a Stanley Cup. And I think that's the way he was looking at it, that they are a legit Stanley Cup contender. 
uh, as is. And if they add these two guys, they're even better. So I think it was uh, it was probably an easy decision for Lou to make. Now, are you kind of surprised of like where Zajac and Palmieri are playing on like each line? Zajac now on the first line, which I mean, it's I think it, it makes sense. It takes the faceoffs away from Matt Barzell, who traditionally is not very good. Kind of gives a little bit of uh, Komarov role, a little bit of an instigator. I think a smarter player than Leo Komarov at times. Not going to take a bad penalty with a couple minutes left in the third. But and then Palmieri, you know, fitting ni- nicely in with you know Paggio and Wallstrom. Were you kind of surprised about where they're um, where they are in the lineup? A little bit, you know. I think uh, I think you get some hints from what Barry says, and and I think you know, in talking to him before this deal was made, that why he liked Komarov there was, you know, you, you can't have you can't have light guys on a line, and you know, it's not an insult to say that Barzal and Eberle are not the most physical guys, but you need some you need some heft on every line, uh, some sort of solid play. A so- couple, you know, a solidly built guy is not going to shy away from the physical stuff, and obviously that's what Leo brings. Um, like you said, sometimes a little overzealous with it, but um, he certainly fits that mold. And even Anders Lee, obviously with some skill, fits that mold. Uh, and I think of Palmieri and Zajac, perhaps Zajac is a little bit better suited to that. I'm not completely sure, but I think the key factor, like you said, is he can take some faceoffs and and kind of get Barzal moving a little bit faster off draws, maybe. Um, and just having a guy who maybe plays a bit simpler of a style, just, uh, you know, I think the key for, for Barry Trotz, as you've seen over the, the three years that he's been here is it's not necessarily three guys on a line that he needs to have together. It's two guys at the very least. And I think the way that Barzal and Everly have played together this year, um, makes him feel like not that you could throw anybody there, but if you throw someone who's maybe not as skilled, but at least is plays such a straightforward style, then, then that's good enough. And, as you said, you know, I think the best line for them in that game on Sunday against the Rangers was the Palmieri, Pajot, Wallstrom line. And if you've got that line going real well and you've got your two kind of legacy lines, the Nelson line and the Zizekas line playing well enough and doing what they do, um, you're kind of spreading the wealth around a little bit. And I think that's what they're what they're looking for to not be so top heavy and not be so focused on making sure that Barzell has the best possible line mate. Arthur, what do you make about the team's recent play? And they're finding ways to win, but I feel like you go through these games, especially the second periods of games, you know, right? No matter what the lead is, they tend to um, give it up in, in the second period. They've really struggled there. And of course, how good they've been in the third periods of games uh, this season. So it really just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, you know, these back-to-back games against the Rangers lose 4-1 and, you know, Rangers were the better team for parts of the game on Sunday, the game against the Flyers where they end up winning in a shootout similar. I mean, where do you feel like they are right now? They're finding ways to win. They're collecting a lot of points to stay right in there. Step with step with Washington, but really haven't seen their best hockey in, in four or five, four or five games, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I think the first, you know, the Thursday, Friday games were, were pretty poor by, uh, by their standards. Um, you know, you got a team like Philly that just doesn't seem to be able to get over the hump against the Islanders or any good teams lately. So, you know, I think that they've put themselves in a position where they need points. Uh, you know, wins are nice. Uh, stylish Style points are kind of out the window now. It's all about maintaining the pace with Washington, with Pittsburgh, whether Boston creeps up there or not. But it sort of seems like there's four teams that are headed for the four playoff spots and where you finish – you know, I'm sure they'd love to get home ice being, you know, seeing as good as they've been at home. 
and the prospect maybe uh, in a month or so of having more fans there would be would, would make it even more appealing to start a series there. But I think ultimately um, at this point, they banked so many points. The, the goal is just to get in and, and, you know, find a good rhythm with some of the, with the new guys uh, and make sure you're healthy, get some work for both their goalies. You know, it's, uh, I wouldn't say that they're coasting by any means, but the, the push for the playoffs, I think is kind of, they've accomplished that in, in a meaningful way. I mean, I think you look at any, in any data, person on Twitter who covers hockey, it's they're in the high 90 percentile, 90th percentile for playoff chances. And they've been there for a little while. So I think this team is, if they, they haven't locked up a playoff spot, but they're just about there with only 14 games left. And uh, I think now is really about jockeying for position and, and making sure that you're at the best possible situation with your roster uh, going into the playoffs and, and, you know, grinding away and grinding away and making sure you're, you're, you're on top of your game for 60 minutes night after night after night is not quite where they want to be right now. Um, you know, I think they've learned over these last couple of years, you want to be at your best and at your healthiest uh, going into the playoffs. Cause that's really where it counts. So staying with that, um, the other acquisition, of course, for a seventh rounder Allenders acquiring Braden Coburn from Ottawa. And there's been a real reluctance to really not, you know, change up the top six defensemen when all are available and healthy throughout this year. And Noel and I have talked about this throughout uh, the season where we thought there might've been a couple spots here and there. Do you give Andy Green a rest? Do you give, you know, do you take Mayfield out of the lineup and let Hickey play or let Ajo play a game and just kind of keep everyone fresh, but they've not gone that route. Do you see as, you know, with 14 games left, do you feel like maybe we see a a bit of a deeper rotation um, at the blue line um, heading down the final couple weeks of the season it wouldn't surprise me to see Coburn get a game or two just to get him acclimated I don't think you want him to his first appearance in an Islander uniform to be you know a a game seven of a playoff series where he's just been taxi squad or or black aces type situation Uh, he's certainly a veteran enough guy that I don't think it's going to be too much of a shock to him but I think you do want to get him in at least to a game or two, but yeah, I, I agree with you guys. You know, the, the fact that they were, they were one of the, they were the last team, I think to, to play just six guys on D seemed like they were playing with fire for a long, long time. And obviously the Dobson COVID situation changed all that. Um, but if there was a guy that they would have voluntarily taken out of the lineup, you know, knowing Barry Trotz's track record, it probably would have been Dobson just because, his young guy, you know, the way that he looks at some of his less experienced guys, he doesn't really feel like they have to be playing night after night. Um, so I'm with you. You know, I think Andy Green has held up pretty well. You know, he's had a, a very capable season considering he's played every game. Um, would, you know, would they think about resting him on a back-to-back or one of the, you know, they've got another three and four coming this weekend. I don't know if they'll happen just yet, but at some point, yeah, I could see that. Um, if guys are banged up and playing through things, you could certainly see someone getting a game or two. And I, and I really feel like with, um, with the way that Thomas Hickey played in his five games, that, uh, that gave them a little bit of confidence. You know, obviously they didn't feel like it was enough depth and you can never have too much given that they lost two of their top six defensemen in the playoffs uh, in, during the playoff run last year. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I could see Coburn getting a couple of games just to sort of ease him into what the Islanders do and making them familiar with it. But yeah, the, the, these six are the six you're going to see until somebody drops and knock wood. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Just with, you know, the other 
acquisitions in the East. Uh, the Islanders obviously weren't alone. You know, the top four playoff teams all made uh, big deals, especially uh, the Capitals at the last moment getting uh, Anthony Mantha, which kind of a very curious deal to give up on, you know, Jacob Verona, who was a really good young player. Maybe he needed a change of scenery. Give up first, a second. I mean, they give up a lot. Richard Panic, I guess, was pretty much a salary dumb. That's probably why they had to get rid of a second-round pick. But which team, I guess, besides the Islanders, do you think made uh, the biggest moves? Yeah, I mean, I, I like what Washington did. You know, I think Verona has been a guy that's kind of confounded a couple of coaches now there. I don't think Barry Trotz was, was a huge fan of his, just from a consistency factor. And I think if you, you know, the Caps had a few guys who didn't really show up that well in the playoffs last year, and he was definitely one of them. Uh, and I think the inconsistency really, you know, made them feel like if they could upgrade one of their top nine guys, uh, they were going to do it. And they were going to get a very solid guy, solid player, solidly built guy in Mantha. You know, they are a, they are a big, heavy, talented team now uh, in their top nine. And it's just another guy that's going to be hard to handle. They already had a few guys like that. So I like what they did, you know, even a, even a Michael Roffel who always seems to come through with something against the Islanders over the last couple of years is a good guy on the fourth line. And I think they're, you know, their fourth line is not one to be messed with, uh, you know, Haglin and, and Dowd and Hathaway and now Raffle in that mix. They're pretty deep up front, maybe the deepest team group of forwards of any of the four teams that are in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh, I think Jeff Carter, they really seem to just plug and play guys, whether it's trade or call up. Uh, it's amazing. And I, you know, I, I don't think Mike Sullivan gets enough credit for being able to incorporate some some guys that nobody's ever heard of before. To, to fit in that Pittsburgh system. And, and with Boston, you know, I feel like uh, they did get Taylor Hall, but uh, their concerns really seem to be in net and, and on D where they're, they've really been decimated. So I don't know how much of a threat they are, but I think the Islanders really, you know, if they're, they're they weren't really, they kind of let off the arms race there in the East. And I think uh, their move was pretty bold um, and kind of just, and very decisive about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to fill the, the holes on their and their forward group. And, uh, you know, I think it shows how I think what the other teams think of the Islanders that they felt the need to, to get better and, and try to improve in lockstep with the Islanders. And I think it shows also that the Islanders might still be one of the, you know, if they're not the favorite, it's, they may be co-favorites with the Capitals to get out of that division. The Athletics' Arthur Staple is our guest. Of course, you can listen to him as well on the No Sleep Till Belmont podcast, often with A.J. Malesko. Um, you know, you look at the division and where the Islanders may separate themselves, you know, goaltending and defense. And the goaltending, you know, once again, um, is what this team's bread and butter has been um, now for three straight years. And a different cast of characters each time, right? Leonard and Grice, uh, Grice and Varlamov, now Varlamov and and Sorokin. And, you know, after those first couple shaky starts, Sorokin has really just been as advertised. I'm just wondering from your perspective, you know, are you at all surprised, even given the hype around him and him coming over to North America as to how quickly he settled in here uh, and whether or not you attribute that to just himself and, maybe the relationship with Varlamov being there as a mentor of just, of course, Piero Greco and Mitch Korn and what the Islanders do. You know, I think a lot of it is, is Sorokin himself. You know, it's, it's easy to, you know, kind of the out of sight, out of mind feeling, but this is a guy 
who has you know been one of the two or three best goalies in the world that wasn't in the NHL for a lot of years. You know, he was playing at the at a real high level in Russia, and it's it's a very different league. Uh, there's not a ton of scoring there. It's you know you it's kind of you think back to some of the old Islander days in the 2000s when they had a uh, you know guys leading their team with 40 or 50 points. That's that's a good year in the KHL these days. So. Uh, it's a very goalie and defense driven league. And, um, but he consistently with the goals against under two, his save percentage was always in the nine twenties, nine thirties. Um, and this is, you know, he, he's obviously on, was on one of the stronger teams, but just the consistency year in and year out for him um, really showed, I think that he was ready to make this move and um, you know, such a weird time for him to do it. And all those months of, of being on the Island, but not being able to play, whether it was in the bubble or then in the, the weird fall off season, um, you know, the fact that he was, like you said, was able to kind of pull it together after a couple of shaky starts. And I still think you see him uh, adapting each game. I, I feel like there was a stretch where he was winning games, but he was still maybe giving up a goal that you'd be surprised to see an elite goalie give up. Um, so he's still adapting to the, the, the heavy traffic in front of the net and angles. And you, you do some kind of see him sometimes slide a little too far off his angle, but he's a very, very acrobatic, flexible goalie. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a ton of surprise to see him playing this well, but also uh, it certainly was the right team and the right environment with, with the goalie department that they have that, like you said, has been, <laughs> kind of churning out success year after year in year three here um, and a coach and a team that really, I think, you know, you think about that stretch where he started to get on a roll and when, a, when eight or nine in a row, he wasn't facing more than 27 or 28 shots a night. And that's a testament to his teammates who kind of think took it upon themselves and say, we need to make this guy feel a little more comfortable here and not let him face a barrage or, or see things that he hasn't seen before. So uh, it's definitely been a group effort led by him and uh yeah it's you know it's certainly is exciting for now and exciting to think about in the playoffs um which way they'll go i assume it'll still be varlamov in game one of the playoffs but who knows if it'll finish that way and then even to think about with the expansion draft in the offseason whether uh you know lamarillo decides to be bold and and try to save some some money on the salary cap and make elise Sorokin his number one and then go hunting for another goalie because He's certainly done that before after good years with swapping uh, Leonard for Varlamov a couple of years ago. So maybe you'll feel like doing it again. It's, it creates uh, a, a pretty good problem to have with how good Sorokin's been. I'm going to go back to the deadline for a sec. A hypothetical. Had uh, Anders Lee been healthy, what kind of deal do you think the Islanders would have made? Um, I don't think they would have been able to just get Travis Zajac, but uh, I think you would have been looking at something more along those lines that, you know, a, a bottom six utility type player uh, to kind of fill in and, and create that depth, you know, probably would have still done the same thing with Coburn. Maybe they would have felt like uh, they had a little bit more wiggle room to add somebody who, who could have played a little bit more uh, on D. But really, if you take away, if you have Lee in the lineup and you take away that $7 million cap hit that's on LTIR, they really were tight against it so there would have been had would have had to be a lot of juggling even just to add one contract much less two so um you know i i think it would have been minimal and i think they would have felt like you know and lou i think said it himself uh that uh it changed their thinking the, the lee injury that they probably would have uh been thinking about something very different but uh here they were and and 
you know, kudos to him for stepping up and saying, we're not going to be deterred by an injury to one of our most important players. And I think that's a a very new feeling for Islander fans in the last 20 or 30 years to have a general manager and and an organization, you know, ownership level to say, we're still going to go for it no matter what. I heard you earlier today on the other Lighthouse Hockey podcast with Dan and Mike, and you guys were talking about Travis Ajak. Well, Mike was saying he's already in love with both Kyle Palmieri and Travis Ajak. He wants to go out and buy the jerseys and make sure that they're Islanders for the rest of their lives. Um, but he was saying about you know whether or not either one of them could be in the fold for next year. And you guys were mentioning Zajac, and you, you know you brought up the fact around Casey Sezikis and his pending free agency, and I really think that's going to be quite fascinating because I think production wise he can he might be able to do better somewhere else yet his identity on the identity line and with this team is just so strong I mean I know we're a few months away but um, it would be strange to see him in another uniform it would and I and I wonder if he feels that way if we're going to see you know he's obviously not in the same stage of his career and same effectiveness level as Matt Martin but if it's if he's very determined to stay, I think we're going to see a similar scenario where he agrees to a deal very quickly, but we don't hear about it till much closer to training camp. So the Islanders can sort out their cap issues with their RFAs and the expansion draft and all that other stuff. But, um, but it will be fascinating. You know, I, you know, he's 30 years old. Uh, he's coming off a very good contract. One that was probably an overpay at the time that he signed it, but now seems about right for a guy that does what he does. Um, can he match it? Can he do better? Could it be a, a you know, a, a four times four kind of guy? Um, if he hits the open market, you have to believe there's going to be a lot of suitors. And I think a lot of that also will depend on what happens to some teams in the playoffs. I think you could see his hometown Leafs, if they stumble again and they feel like they need somebody who's plays a, you know, a, a very straightforward style with all of their skilled players. You could see them making a big pitch if they can move some money around, which they've certainly been able to do over the years. Um, there's a lot of teams out there that could use a guy like Casey Zekas. So um, it, it is going to be incumbent upon Lou Lamarillo, and I'm sure it's been going on now since you're allowed to sign guys who are pending free agents. Uh, and maybe that conversation has already been asked and answered with Zekas' with agent, who happens to also be Matt Martin's agent and Cal Clutterbuck's agent, which makes a nice little <laughs> kind of puts a nice little bow on that fourth line that they all have the same agent. But uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, it is going to be interesting. And I think, um, it, you know, it's not something that's going to be if it's if they can resolve it right away, we're not going to hear about it right away. So it's going to be it's going to be some uh, some anxious moments, I think, for Islander fans, depending on what we see with Casey Sikas. And I think there's also a factor of you hate to bring it up in any sort of jinx kind of way, but if he gets hurt again, it's going to be, you know, three or four years in a row with an injury. And if he misses some, some significant time in the playoffs, it's going to be fair to wonder uh, if Lamarillo believes he can stay healthy now into, you know, his being beyond age 30. And, um, you know, you'd think that they still have a lot of time for Casey Zekas at the right price, but uh, whether he agrees that the right price is the right price for him, we'll have to see. I don't think the Leafs would uh, try to get Casey for at least another 10 years. He's, too, he's too, way too young right now <laughs> for them. But another guy, because I'm, I'm basically all in for the season. I really don't want to, I don't care about draft picks. I don't care about the fancy draft, you know, anything. But it's not a su- subject. Uh, Anthony Bovillier uh, is going to be RFA after, after the season. Do you think he'd be kind of the odd man out, similar to like Devontae's last offseason? 
You know, I think if you look at the three RFAs they have, you know, it's no, he's still an important guy, but he's not as important as Sorokin and he's not as important as Adam Pellick to what they do. And uh, so, yeah, I could, I could see a scenario depending on what happens in the expansion draft, um, you know, whether they decide that they need to make a trade to get some, you know, Seattle to take a certain player off their hands. Um, I think a lot is riding on what happens around that expansion draft and who, who either gets picked or they arrange to get picked and give up an asset to facilitate that. Um, but yeah, it, it could be another scenario, you know, you know, Bovillier is coming off a, a bridge deal. He's due a big raise. He's obviously not having the kind of season between the injury early on and, and, you know, a little bit lower production, but he's a guy who can get hot at any time. And he certainly showed in the playoffs last year, if he can put together another playoff run like he had last season, you know, you're talking about a four, four and a half, five million dollar a year guy, um, especially if you're buying up years of his unrestricted free agency. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it could be a bite the bullet. We got to trade him to get some assets back and just kind of ease the cap crunch. And, and then, like I said, of the of those three guys, he's probably the one that would be the most likely to go and would certainly have a lot of appeal around the league. He's you know, he's he's a dynamic player. He's a 20 goal scorer as a guy who on another team that's a little bit more offense minded could be an, easily be a 30 goal scorer um, and play a lot of different roles. So, um yeah, it's it's going to be a difficult scenario. You know, you don't want to think, like you said, you don't want to think too far ahead. This is a good team. They've got as good a chance as anybody to, to make it out of this division, and, and maybe they're even the favorites to make it out of this division. And then once you get to the semifinals, you don't know who's going to be there. So this is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, and you don't want to start wringing your hands about what's going to happen a few months down the road. But uh, but you do have to have it in the back of your mind. And I think Bovillier is probably a guy that uh, – once the once the season really does end, uh, is a guy who you're going to wonder if he's going to be an Islander in the future. I don't think there's a certain. I don't think some members of the fan base, the younger generation, is ready for the emotional toll of an expansion draft. <laughs> I mean, Grabowski getting, you know, traded, you know, uh, or selected with Vegas. That that was different. That there was no emotional ties there at that point, given his current status. I remember being you know, at 12 years old in 93 and Glenn waking up and Glenn Healy's on the mighty ducks. <laughs> so, you know, I think this <laughs> is going to be quite a, yeah. yeah, he lost both goaltenders and Ron Hextall came on. So uh, there's gonna be a bit of a rude awakening there to maybe see, um, you know, an actual contributing player uh, to from this team, especially if the team uh, goes deep into the playoffs and as a memorable team uh, ending up in a, in a Seattle Jersey uh, next season. Um, I guess last question for me, Arthur is just, you know, Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz, we're now three years into this, and you still get a lot of it on Twitter because we all see it. The doubt that creeps in at the smallest, you know, uh, line line decision or, um, you know, uh, you know, roster maneuver and people moving to the taxi squad. What's it been like covering the Islanders within this three-year period where – you know the brain trust as so well respected and their track record is so good and fans are now getting upset and annoyed over the minutiae out there comparative, you know, compared to, um, you know, the issues that the team had, you know, not too, not, not too long ago. I mean, I, I'd worry more if I didn't hear from some Islanders, some fans on Twitter that uh, about some of the, the small issues, because that's just the nature of being a fan. And, and it does happen in other fan bases are certainly, uh, the, one of the more enjoyable parts about being at the athletic is, is being teammates now with people that I used to see 
uh, around covering beats. And now we're all sort of in the same boat. And I think we, it's fun to swap stories about nervous Penguins fans, nervous Hawks fans, whoever it is, you know, whatever sort of track record of success the team has, uh, there's always going to be a segment of the fan base and they are all on Twitter because it's a good place to vent. Uh, that they're going <laughs> to vent about whatever small thing is is uh, is bothering them, and um, you know, having said that, it, it is you know from a you know the big picture view, it, you know, just drastically different, and it's it's different in a lot of ways. You know, it's it's a much more buttoned down organization now, which doesn't always make for the best uh, beat writing because you're not as close to the players, and certainly in the last year plus, you're there's no way to be close to the players in, in a pandemic and. Uh, a Lou Lamarilla run team is is built for pandemic life. It, you know they're they're very insulated and and removed. I think from a lot of the the media stuff and um, you know where a few years ago when things were going poorly or whatever you, you you'd get you know people reaching out from the organization to kind of ask questions about what the perception is of X or who what's going on with Y. There's none of that now. It's very it's very tight lipped and that's you know there's nothing surprising about that. Lou's been doing that for three decades now. Um, but, uh, but just being around the day-to-day part of it, it's very, very different. And I think, and I think just the, the success part of it, uh, is a lot different for so many fans. Like you said, you know, the, you remember the, the 93 expansion draft, anybody who was a fan in the nineties has gone through a few ups and downs, but it's mostly been pretty steady, awful news for the, you know, for about a 25 year stretch. Uh, and even the, the brief, uh, you know, ray of sunshine from, you know, 2015 and 2016 was quickly replaced by disappointment and upheaval. Um, so this is, this is the most consistently good stretch this team has had for, you know, going, you know, 35 years really. And it's, uh, you know, that, that removes a lot of, a big chunk of the fan base that, that isn't, it doesn't go all the way back to the dynasty era. Um, and that's different. And, it, and I think it takes a lot of getting used to it. Um, uh, you know, to, to really believe that your team is a cup contender year after year and to see it have turned around so quickly uh, from a pretty dark period is uh, can be a little bit of a jolt for everybody, the writers and the, and the fans too. But, uh, but it is something to enjoy. And I think uh, even in the, in the, within the complaints, there's still uh, a lot of people who, who will say, having said all that, it's very exciting. And, uh, and it certainly, it certainly is to watch. It's uh it's a team that when they go out on the ice, you expect them to win. And uh, that hasn't been said about an Islander team in a long, long time. And people are now expecting them to make a deep playoff run. Last one for me just came to mind. I see, I see all these people getting these Belmont tours. One, have you done one? And do you know where your <laughs> press box will be? Um, when they build new buildings, they, they tend to can sort of conveniently forget a proper press box <laughs> sometimes. That's where I was going. I don't, I don't think it's uh, it's sort of a euphemism because you can't sell press box seats. So I, I, I certainly understand it from a business standpoint, but I'm, you know, I'll just be sad because the Coliseum is, is the best remaining press box in the league. It's such a great vantage point, even though it's a little bit tighter than some. Uh, so I'll definitely miss that. And I'll, you know, I don't, uh, I think that I haven't been to a game yet this season, but I don't think the media is going to be back up in the press box, even through the playoffs uh, when I do get back out there in a couple of weeks, but um, I haven't gotten my tour yet. I've been, we've been pretty uh, locked down tight for the last year plus here. Um, but I am looking forward to getting over to Belmont and, and seeing what it's like and um, 
certainly the the offer has been made and hopefully during the summer when they're getting close to completion i'll get over there and it's it's great to be able to get all you know to have the live camera inside and see the see the updates and i think that's another aspect that i think islander fans have to get used to that they're going to be going to games in the best building in the league and uh that's something that they've never been able to Incredible. say in 50 years of Islander <laughs> hockey. So, um, you know, I think uh, you don't have to become cocky, but you can certainly become confident that uh, mm-hmm. the owners know what they're doing and the front office knows what it's doing. And the team is a good team uh, that's playing in a great place. So that's all pretty new stuff, but it's good to get used to it. And it'll be a lot warmer than Barclay center. I, I predict. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe there's not a lot of warm buildings left. <laughs> I, I, I almost wish, sorry to interrupt you. I almost wish that they have like a uh, bar or some kind of food uh, place in Belmont called Ironclad. <laughs> yeah, it would I'm not be. Sure if I get uh, that joke. The Ironclad lease from the from Barclays Center. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, the 25 right. year lease. I got it. Yeah. Mm, well done. I think everyone wants to see Offside Tavern, though. That's, well, that's where everyone's waiting Definitely, for. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, Arthur, listen, appreciate it. Always generous with your time. Hopefully, this is the last one you do for a little while. This is what happens when the team has too many off days uh, following the trade deadline. But um, appreciate you. Appreciate all your great work. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. That was the Athletics' Arthur Staple. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to P.T. Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back. P.T. Isles, No Fogelman, and Joe Bono. Special thanks again to Arthur Staple for joining us. Back-to-back nights on the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network in both interviews mentioned uh, Christopher Gibson. So uh, that's why you guys come here for the content and we're very happy to give it to you here. At yeah, I don't know why. I said, yeah. I don't know why before I said he was on St. Louis on Tampa. I don't know what, what made me think St. Louis. That's blue. Yeah, exactly. It was, just, <laughs> it was, it was last week that they had on uh, NBC, they had Thomas Grice versus Christopher Gibson matchup. So that was, yeah. uh, that, that, that was fantastic. But uh, yeah, the, the sound, speaking of like, you know, the sound tigers and they're a disaster this year. But one one positive was um, Alan Puring, who is the voice of the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, is calling a couple Islander games on the radio because uh, the radio voice of the Islanders, you know, Chris King, you know, is in the COVID. We wish him well, and he's kind of uh, filling in with uh, Greg Picker, who normally does the color. Greg, Greg is really good at play by play, and I, I, he's he's done that you know the last few games, and he, he's 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 really solid at that. They had uh, the Islanders dot com Corey Wright filling in a little bit as well on color, and Alan's filling in as well, so. Uh, it's good that the uh, HL announcers get the call up as well. That's a that's a big thrill. That had to be a huge thrill for Alan and yeah. uh, tremendous experience. And you get your tape out there, and you know um, it just takes that one yes from one of these teams for things to open up. And you know Brendan was an AHL broadcaster and got the Islander gig when Harry Rose decided to retire. We are blessed, blessed, blessed to have yeah. Brendan Berg. I don't think maybe people do realize just how good he is. And I, you know, for someone who 
as done play-by-play myself when I was over at Fordham and, and did some minor league baseball. And I did a real league football. I did some stuff. He is so polished and so good. He never, never stammers, never stutters, a smooth, descriptive way of calling the game, the right moments, never reaches his peak too early in a game, has a sense for those big moments. Um, and he works a crazy schedule. He, yeah. you know, because of now of how good he is, he's NBC obviously has recognized that and are bringing him on to the national broadcast. And, you know, if you follow along on his Instagram or Twitter, when he's not doing an Islander game, he's often, um, you know, doing another game for NBC or ESPN plus or whatever it's going to be in the future. And, you know, I guess because of our COVID situation, he's been able just to go to a studio and pretty much do that on TV, which makes things a little bit easier right. from a travel standpoint, I'm sure. But that's a grueling schedule to be working game in and game out and be prepared and be as good as he is. And we are very lucky because I think we're going to, you know, eventually I think the Islander broadcaster will be the, national voice of hockey i think there's a good chance of that happening at some point uh during his long career yeah i couldn't agree more and just like obviously the last you know 40 years of islanders history has been a little uneven so, so to speak but one constant has been the islanders play-by-play guys going from jigs mcdonald to howie rose to brendan burke haven't lost one beat at all and john sterling at and one john point Sterling's, exactly <laughs> you know so i mean it's like the, the last you know john we, we all love john but the, the, the last, you know, three guys have been fantastic and um, couldn't uh, couldn't be happier with uh, Brendan Burke, who's been good to us on uh, Lighthouse Hockey. Um, other things I saw this week, someone tweeted out, he was looking through his camera roll and found a photo because uh, we just came off the anniversary of what people thought was going to be the last Islanders game, at, regular season game at the Coliseum when they lost that uh, season regular season finale to the Columbus Blue Jackets in the shootout. They lost home ice. Um, that was that was going to be the last regular season game at the Coliseum. They found a photo of Patrick Dowd, the sign guy, holding up one of his signs, and he says, "The old barn will stay open until the Isles win the cup." Yeah. And was this a prophecy? I mean, well, if it actually think about it, yeah, it was supposed to be the last game ever. They moved ironclad, like you just said, to Brooklyn, yeah. never to come back to the Coliseum. If they actually end up winning the cup at the refurbished Coliseum, that sign, that picture. Yeah. No, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Now, let's just, I mean, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but let's get ahead. Let's get oh, far ahead of ourselves. Let's do it. Let's do it. They win the cup, right? Where's the parade? Is the parade down Hempstead or is it around the racetrack at Belmont? Well, where did, where the parade used to be Hempstead and then they did Eisenhower Park? Yeah. I mean, I'm a little, I'm too young. Yeah. I think I think that's what it was. I mean, or, would they even venture into the city? Is there any chance they would even? Probably not. That to, just because it's Ranger Rangers Town, they they couldn't even do anything. I, I think if they still were in Brooklyn, with the they'd have to split it. I think they probably would have had it in the Canyon Heroes. Mm-hmm. So, because if, if the Nets win this year, the politicians would have pulled them into doing something like that. That I wouldn't want that. Yeah. I don't think Islander fan base is large enough to support that. Right. <laughs> they have multiple parades, you know, like multiple arenas. I mean, who, who knows? But that, that's a good problem to worry about. You know? Remember, the Devils used to have theirs in like the parking Park lot of the Meadowlands. That was, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's quintessential Jersey, but yeah. I, mean, I don't know if I wanted Coliseum parking lot. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would enjoy that. You know, you did a tailgate party type of thing. Um, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. I don't know. I'm not sure. Certainly Hempstead. I think that's it. I think you do the slow caravan of cars yeah. down Hempstead. You got Borelli's there. They'll retake the same picture they took from 40 years ago. A lot of people will be there with their grandkids that said they were there back in the 80s. It'll be a you know, you know the past meeting the meeting the present. It'd be pretty pretty magical. Of right. course, you again not looking too far down the road, but we'll do that because that's what we're doing at the moment. You know, it, you know the, the idea of the Stanley Cup coming out and Andrews Lee's putting on his skates and walking out yeah. with his uh, repaired ACL <laughs> to get the cup right. from Gary Batman. <laughs> You know, he's got to hand it over to Andy Green and yeah. all the former Devils first. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, before before Josh Bailey gets his hands on it uh, to dream. But it's it's crazy. An author was talking about it. it is crazy that we are talking about the Islanders as people now recognizing after they made these trades for Zajac and Palmieri. You know, they're the favorite to get out of the East. Yeah, you are. say that. That's people not going, okay, I can't see that. No, no. I think a lot of people actually would feel that they are the favorites that come out of the East because of what they did last year because of the defense, because you know the goaltending is going to be there, because they can roll the four lines and how deep they are in the coach, um, and that every team has some floors and warts. And I think any uh, seven-game series with any of those three other teams, Boston, Pittsburgh, or Washington, is going to be a tough series. But, you know, I think if you polled general NHL um, media at this point, you may see you know a little room, I think, between the Islanders and the Capitals in terms of what they would think would be the favorite coming out of the division. Yeah, I mean, it's honors goaltending is far better than the Caps. Their defense is, is, is much better. And, you know, after the two games against Boston, I think one against the Rangers and one against Philly, they play three straight against the Capitals. So th- that could be the division right there. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Capitals dominated the Flyers uh, Tuesday night, and the honors will have a game in hand. We'll, we'll catch up against the Bruins. But that, that could be the division right there, those three games in a row. And those are going to be nasty playoff games. We, we all know the type of players that uh, the Capitals have, you know, looking right at you, Tom Wilson, uh, and a couple you know, others as well. So that also could be a game that you see a Braden Colburn with, with his size, you know, physicality. He might get in one of those games. Yeah, and I think uh, what Arthur said makes a lot of sense about getting him in the lineup because you just don't want his first game to be, you know, game seven of the conference finals. Right. Or um, yeah, Trent Hunter, he played his first games in the playoffs, right? For the playoffs, yeah. Yep. And scored a playoff goal, right? His first ever goal in the NHL was a exactly. was a playoff goal. Playoff goal, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's happened. happened before. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> definitely happened. Yeah, but it's funny because like, you look, you know, Braden Colbert. Um, four years ago, that would have been the only move the Islanders made on the trade deadline. Right. Typical Garth Snow move. Or he would have been like a big offseason acquisition. He would have been like you know Brendan Witt, you know, yeah, free agent acquisition. You know, this rugged rugged stay at home defenseman six yeah. three. You know. Exactly. Um, no, it's crazy where they were. You knew the Islanders from the time the Lee injury occurred, they were going to go for it. And that's also a commitment from ownership. Right. You know, they're paying, they're paying this yeah, money right. out. Yeah. They're, they're paying these guys, they're paying beyond, you yeah. know, what the Islanders can afford under the cap and what actually is being allocated to their roster yeah. are two different numbers. And right. they're, they're making it, they're giving Lou the okay to go out and spend money um, when, when available. And just the fact that the Islanders organization is in that position right. is, you know, new ground. And now we're back to back years where they have gone out and not just gotten a player, they've gotten an impact player and a player that fits seamlessly in what they want to do and what they want to accomplish um, in the locker room and the style of play and the attitude. And, uh, you know, I was interested, you know, on Twitter, you know, the Taylor Hall argument and 
my my thought was I would have been excited if they got Taylor Hall because I think the upside hmm. potentially there. You know, you hit you know lightning lightning in a bottle and he turns it on and he's excited to be there and it's a new environment and you, and you you capture you know two months of great two three months of great hockey from Taylor Hall, you know, for a guy who's looking to get cash in on a big contract. Yeah. I would have been excited about it, but the Palmieri move was always the move that made the most sense for a variety of reasons style to play not exactly Andrews Lee but still a kind of in that power forward type mole and score a scrappy goal like he did the other night and the Zajac one is fascinating but it just the Zajac one really just the depth of the lineup now to where the players that were in the in the lineup each and every night that you go oh what line are they on oh I can't believe they're playing here oh they're putting Ross Johnson in oh Leo's on the top line yeah. now those guys are there as depth and you only probably be be seeing them you know if there's an injury or they look to give someone a night off yeah absolutely you know Ross Johnson he's on the um, IR and so is Michael Dolcole you might not see those guys and even Kiefer Bellows who um, Barry Trotz you know mentioned thank God he wasn't traded you know which was was kind of curious because the comments he's had earlier in the year about Kiefer, you know, also got benched for, for a long time, but you see something in Kiefer, it's, you know, protects his guys as well, you know, criticizes, you know, the young guys as, as well, but there's depth now in the offense defense. We know the goaltending um, and moneypuck.com who traditionally isn't always favorable to the Islanders now have them at a 99% chance to make the playoffs. And you've never seen that before. And I think they even have them 16.9, to make the finals so that's that's, that's pretty solid i think that's the second highest probably the second highest probably ever <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> For the exactly yeah so um it's hard to make a good point because you know obviously you, you know who you would potentially play in the conference finals well, you know well, actually we knew it would be tampa or whoever's coming mm-hmm. out this year we don't know because of the seating so they could conceivably play vegas they can play colorado they can play, you know, Florida, Toronto. Who knows? That's what makes it so so exciting. You don't know which division you're going to play. So I don't know, just bank the points, whether they're pretty or not. Style points doesn't matter. Two points, two points. Just And if you can lose, lose in overtime. Just get a, at least a point a game. Get the wins, bank them, and try to get, a, you know, second overall in the league. So you get home ice at least through the conference finals. Mm-hmm. You know, win the division. I want to see that mass mutual, mass mutual logo on a banner somewhere. That'd be fantastic. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the one thing they haven't slain in I think 1988. Yeah, then if you do that, division. you almost. Now, let me think about this because I honestly don't know the answer to this. If you win a division yeah. and you haven't ha- you haven't been a team that's won a Stanley Cup in a long time, right? So this isn't a team that's won banner after banner after banner mm. and wins the division every year. But you win your first division in 30-some-odd years, knowing mm. it's Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz. Do you have a ceremony to raise the banner in your first home game? No, I think just it's there? It just I would, there. I would just put it up. Just put it, it – just, it's just up there. Yeah, I would just put it up. I mean, because let's just say to win the division, it's a heartbreaking loss game seven of the conference finals. You can have a ceremony to raise the raise – the, division champion banner just just have it up there it would be so much better so as a met fan i was there in opening day 2001 and i know they after losing the subway series to the yankees i know they had a ceremony and unveiled like the national league champion flag and gave out like the national league champion rings right you know and you lost the world series yeah i think it's been just so long since any of my teams have won a division yeah (laughs) Oh, so I don't know exactly. Like you would think basketball, hockey, and baseball would kind of work that way, but 
I don't know about the unveiling of of the banner. Um, um, other other things going on. Um, Ryan Strom keeps on putting up points, um, and uh, Ranger fans keep on chirping. Um, and that's okay. I'm all right. I'm happy that Ryan Strom has turned himself into a very serviceable NHL player that could put up points uh, next to uh, an Artemi Panarin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy the back and forth between the Ranger fans right. about uh, who's better with, with Barzell. And hopefully that goes on for quite a bit longer. Yeah, and you'll have more playoff points this year, not present. So, <laughs> no, so, I mean, I, that's, that's the argument right there. We all know uh, Ryan Strom had a great first full season with the Island. I think he had like over 50 points. We thought, oh, this is going to be, you know, John Tavares' running mate. Didn't quite work out, but you know what? Got a short Neverly. So mm. it worked out pretty nicely. And, you know, Ryan Strom, best of luck on the Rangers. But, you know, you're playing with, you know, all-world talent and uh, Timmy Pernarin, so. And uh, Sunday night, Islanders on Ranger Islanders Rangers and WrestleMania. What we oh, yeah. what we what was what was the situation at the Fogelman House uh, when with those two <laughs> those two events happening at the same time and in simultaneously? So we have you know we have a smart TV you know, Samsung and Peacock is not available on Samsung smart TV. I am, I am well aware, very which, upset about which is, it. Which is kind of you know bullshit. So I have an Apple TV in my in my bedroom, but I'm like, all right, I can think I can access it through my Xbox. So we you know plugged it in through the xbox and we're watching and it's like thinking to myself 30 years ago when i'm playing the regular nintendo it never even occurred to me to watch tv through a video game console so it's how far we, we became we've become so it had had it on the big screen and i was watching the audio on the phone and uh yeah it was it was pretty good some disappointing matches i i, I thought or outcomes i should say but o- overall it was, it was pretty good for what what they uh they uh provided did you watch it yeah, yeah, I was kind of upset that I had to actually try to concentrate on both. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why is there an Islander Ranger game on Sunday? If it's gonna be an Islander game on a Sunday, it can't be, you know, Islanders and you know, on, under normal times, it'd be like Islanders and you know, coyotes on a Sunday night at yeah. five o'clock. You know, this was this was a seven o'clock start on a Sunday. WrestleMania's on. Yeah. Uh, my situation was different. I had you know, my daughter, she wants to watch what she wants. She goes, I want to watch my show. She's in one of those modes, right? I can't, right. if I turn on something, she goes, no, I want to watch my show. So yeah. she got her show on the actual TV. I had a laptop going uh, with WrestleMania on yeah. Peacock and then my phone on the MSG Go app. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah. you know, that's modern day entertainment, I guess, for you having uh, three yeah. separate things going on and trying to concentrate on all of them. Right. It's, it's, it's amazing now how... Uh technology works but what was your favorite match um i actually really liked the saturday night um sasha banks bianca yeah. belair match i actually had my wife watch it the next morning what? i'm like hey can you i'm like can you do me a favor like get like 17 minutes yeah. I'm like you should really this was really good i think you'll enjoy this uh i was actually i thought the saturday night show was more entertaining than than sunday um or I, yeah. I thought the sunday card was a little bit lackluster um but uh you know, I'm I'm not like a uber mega wrestling fan. You know, certainly there are people that you come across in your life at work and other things that if you talk any wrestling, they look at you weird, like you're into that. People watch right. that stuff. Like right. I'm not like the super crazy fan, but I have been to my fair share of WrestleManias. You okay. know, I've I've been to I was at WrestleMania twenty uh, at the garden. I was at twenty nine at okay. MetLife, I was at thirty five right. at MetLife, but then I was also at 
um, 32 in Texas, for my brother's oh, nice. bachelor party. And then we went a couple years later to New Orleans. So I've been, I've been the yeah. five manias. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty up. that's good there. That's good there. Yeah. Five out of five out of 37. Yeah, my, my daughter got into it last year and she's been bugging me about, oh, can we go to WrestleMania or can we go to SummerSlam? I'm like, first of all, we got to allow fans to come back. Second of all, we got to hope it's in the area. You know, and, you know unfortunately, they had it in MetLife years ago. So I don't think it's going to be here for a while. You might get a pay per view around the area, yeah. but, you know, me in Connecticut, you can go to Jer- you can Jersey, you can go to New York. Right. Really, you can go to and it's Boston. not like the old days like if you go back and watch like wrestlemania 11 that's the one where lawrence taylor is in the main event wow. against bam bam bigelow yes. you'll have um you know it's like live from the hartford civic center yeah. like no those that's days are right. over they're not having uh, wrestlemania at the hartford civic center <laughs> exactly and you funny you mentioned uh lawrence taylor and you always have those celebrity matches that never really pans out but they had bad bunny and mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic that match i guess i mean i never heard of him before I think no. Royal Rumble Same here. He was singing and now he's everywhere winning Grammys. He was on SNL, but like, apparently he was training for months at the performance center. And no, he was, I take it seriously. He was, he was absolutely uh, fantastic. He beat the Miz mm-hmm. and John Morrison. And uh, yeah, so it's, if, if you haven't seen that match, go, go watch it. It's, it's, it's pretty entertaining. And uh, like you said, the Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair match was great. My daughter was upset. She a little bit more entertaining than Matt Martin and Zidane Chara from, from a, yeah. a, a little, couple of weeks ago um Absolutely. a little better yeah. match but good to see that rematch uh rematch occur apparently chara kind of challenged martin and he, he dropped the gloves and was game for it uh even though he knows that uh the reach pretty puts him puts him at a pretty distinct disadvantage and now he's a family man he's got a daughter at home exactly and he's yeah. still taking on Zadino Chara. so i know yeah. um anyway yeah. um anyway no yeah exciting times islanders anyone that was nervous about this team Weeks ago, because there were some of them out there, they were looking at yeah. the standings. Oh, the Flyers can catch up and be six points out. And what are they going to do? As we said, be patient, be confident, and that the team that you were seeing on the ice at that day was not going to be the team they were going to be rolling into the playoffs with. We now know what that team looks like. And now they have 14 games to get the lines the way they wanted, to get these guys acclimated, acclimated the way they wanted, hopefully stay healthy and be ready moving into the playoffs. So um, exciting times ahead, uh, but some difficult games ahead as well. Um, coming up next for the Islanders, they have back-to-back games with Taylor Hall and the Boston Bruins up in Boston. Then they're in Philadelphia against the Flyers before getting back to the Coliseum and welcoming back the New York Rangers. Special thanks again to Arthur Staple for joining us. For Noel Fulgeman, I am Joe Bono. We will talk to you next week, Islanders country. Good night.